allyship is a lifelong process of building relationships based on trust, consistency, and accountability with marginalized individuals and or groups of people. In this episode, you'll meet John Franchuk. As an active ally and sales leader, John will guide us through steps towards becoming an ally that starts with self-education. This process includes admitting that you have racial bias based on the decisions that you make and encourages us to actually have conversations about race. Through trust and value, John shares how you can be a mentor or sponsor to people of color. And by setting an example for many, John describes how together we can create systemic change by being the pebble in the pond. Enjoy the episode. John, I, I do want to say it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. You've been a mentor, ally, friend, sponsor to me. Certainly there wouldn't be a Driving Ambition podcast if not for your investment in me and, and certainly um, have appreciated your coaching and guidance throughout the years. So thank you. I am uh, absolutely grateful. Uh, thank you for asking me to be a part of this. I've thoroughly enjoyed our interactions, our friendship, our partnership, and uh, I hope to continue to contribute to you know allyship and to these conversations uh, over the years that I've had and, and the years that will follow. Beautiful. In, in terms of when we initially had you down for the show, we had you down for a conversation around mentorship and you made mention of allyship. I think given what's going on in the world today and probably by the release of this episode, we do need to turn our focus more so to allyship. And mm -hmm. the word itself is new for many. And for others, it has evoked emotion, frustration, feelings of helplessness, curiosity, and, you know, there's certainly been a lot of questions around it. In your view, what does it mean to be an ally? Allyship to me, and I'll share with you my perspective, is starts with how you become an ally and how that with the actions you take to stand up and take on some of the problems of oppression and systemic racism that we find in our society today. Allyship is not a self-designated title, it's something that you earn. So for me to say that I'm an ally would be misleading. For others to say that I'm an ally would have more power. So each day that I wake up and each week that I go into work and each, each way that I educate myself, I'm taking on the responsibility to fully understand what it feels like to be oppressed and to be put in positions of feeling that way every single day. My educational journey is ongoing. It's not something that I believe has a finish line. And it's not something that I can fully understand because of how I was born and how I was raised and the color of my skin. But by seeking education and having conversations, I start to educate myself more and more each day on uh, what it really means to be oppressed. And as an active ally, taking on responsibility for making positive change happen and educating others to do the same. You mentor so many people and you made mention of active ally in the last piece there. What does it then mean to be an active ally? So it's interesting. I've had a slew of uh, white colleagues reaching out to me 
and asking, you know, what they can do, what they can do. And I think it starts with, uh, you know, my first inclination is what took you so long. Um, my second inclination is we first need to understand ourselves and that racism is inherent in all of us based on how we were, where we were born, how we were raised within our families, the colors of the color of our skin and the way society views that and to understand what white privilege truly means. And before we can do that, you know, that self-education needs to happen um, to each of us individually. And my white colleagues have never had conversations, or most of them haven't had thoughtful conversations about race. And it starts there. So before you can even act, you need to listen and learn and educate yourself. Active allyship, you know, taking the actions necessary that you see to bring justice and participate in social justice only can come after you admit, listen, and learn and educate yourself before taking. So as I mentioned on uh, the Transfer Form Her event, I was seeing uh, people posting hashtags you know, mm-hmm. white people pushing hashtags and black squares and saying I'm an ally. Uh, to me, that's not active allyship. Active being an ally and being an active ally is, is hard work and it's a commitment. And it's being willing to make mistakes while you're learning and being proactive in your own personal education and not putting that burden on others. So you mentioned uh, mentorship. I believe for me, and how I can scale influence uh, through mentorship is based on the construct of the business that we work in. And in that business, when I started with the company eight years ago, I noticed that mentorship was um, by design for high potential performers. And most of those, quote, high potential performers uh, that I saw that were designated high potential were white. And I felt there was a disconnect in what that meant and how that was. And I noticed that I didn't see a lot of white allies or white men uh, in leadership positions mentoring people of color. And immediately I thought that there was a gap that could be filled there. Um, however, that's a gap that I sought to once again earn the, ta- the, the title of mentor by providing something of value, either perspective, ideas, sponsorship, which we'll probably get into, Mm -hmm. um, and clear understanding that mentorship was a two-way street that I was going to learn through my interactions and educate myself even further through through the mentees that I was mentoring. And by addressing that with uh, intent and committing to that, I believe it's helped me immensely on this allyship journey of self-education. You know, on that point, you talk about commitment. I mean, I've known you for seven, eight years, you know, even from the first time we met in Monterey, California, uh, we were, you know, that was kind of like the, the launch point for us. And, you know, you've been a committed ally. Again, I'm giving you that badge, so to speak. Um, you know, I certainly want to get to sponsorship and mentorship in a second, but I want to uh, get a sense as to your passion around this. How did you first become passionate around this particular topic or um, ambition, so to speak? That's a great question. So I think it has to go back to my childhood. 
So we've got to start early on. Um, and we need to have a conversation about race, which is an uncomfortable conversation uh, for what most, if not all, of my white colleagues to have. It will continue to be an uncomfortable conversation. I had the, f the fortune of being raised in a neighborhood that was mostly people of color, of which I've heard the terminology and how people designate their views as a, quote, uh, bad neighborhood, which we've all heard good neighborhoods, bad neighborhoods, good schools, bad schools. What essentially people are discussing is race. So at a very young age, I was uh, growing up in a neighborhood where I was in the minority from a racial construct and immediately started to feel the empathy that I believe my white colleagues are trying to feel now and put themselves in situations where they're not the only white person in the room, whereas I grew up in that manner. So when I found myself in that position at a very young age, there were many situations where I was called names and picked on. Um, and I found and saw friends of mine uh, standing up for me and defending me. And I think because at that young age, I had those friends defending me, and these were people of color defending me, it became ingrained in me and important to me to do the same for them. And when I'm now in situations where I'm in the majority, and I've, I can feel and see that through my own lens, but also seek to feel that through their lens, it makes it, to me, um, the right thing to do. And again, this is, you know, back to childhood. That's where it started. And I think having that experience um, really shaped the person who I am. And when you asked me at the beginning about allyship and how there's so much, you know, talk about it now, yeah. um, this is the first time that many, many of my white colleagues have ever thought about talking about racism because they could go through their entire lives without feeling an impact of that. So for them, it wasn't a conversation that they, quote, needed to seek to understand, have, or participate in with any action. So, you know, you, you talk about the need for your white colleagues to educate. Would you say that that's the biggest challenge or what would be the biggest challenge that you uh, are helping uh, along the way for their their journey and, and for them? Well, it's interesting. I mean, if you if you were to ask some of them more, I guess you'd say um, the PhDs or the, the activists that have written books or have you know, taken stances on, on racism and that are much more educated than I am. For example, uh, Robin D'Angelo, who wrote uh, the book White Fragility. For someone like that, she would say the first step is admitting that racism exists in everyone of white race, of, of, of white skin. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's because of their, their privilege and how the silence that they take by not admitting that first and contributing to uncomfortable conversations and making the mistakes necessary to learn, that avoidance is toxic and is what breeds the systemic racism that we see today. And I believe that. So if the first step is admitting that you have racial bias and that it's conscious and it's in the way that you make decisions, even in your daily life, what neighborhoods you, you choose to live in, 
what schools you seek out, what friends you have, what hires you make. All of this comes back to the racist, you know, the racism bias that you have. And the quick, you know, the quick answer that folks give is, I'm not a racist. And anytime you see something racist happen in society today, the first answer is, I'm not a racist, right? Mm -hmm. I have black friends. Mm -hmm. I'm not a racist, but there are black people on my team. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes not even you know it's not even a but it's a I'm not a you know it's it's admitting the fact that your the decisions that you're making are based on your bias and committing then to not be defensive but to be open to a growth mindset of learning more about what racism is and how you've been contributing to it throughout your entire life while in your mind you're not being over, you're not being overly racist. So that's step one. And that is an uncomfortable place to be. But you have to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And many white people don't want to be, quote, exhausted by this or uncomfortable by discussing race. You know, you and I had, uh, you, you made mention earlier of it, this being the right thing to do. You and I had dinner two, three years ago where you articulated that to me as well. And I guess what advice do you have then for those that are seeking to become more active in their allyship? Well, first, don't expect to be taught by people of color. The work is not theirs. The work is yours. There are so many resources now available, more than I've ever seen, actually, on the internet by doing a simple Google search and taking on that responsibility to do the work yourself. Use the tools around you then to learn this and then answer. You don't need to also make it about you, meaning don't compare your struggle to others. This isn't about you and you're not taking credit for that. You're simply taking the steps necessary to amplify and to promote voices of those that don't have your privilege, especially when they're not present. And that's what's uncomfortable. I don't know how many of my white colleagues have had active race conversations with their friends, close friends, or relatives, of which can be extremely painful and uncomfortable. However, that's how positive change is made. Pain is not made without, I mean, progress is not made without pain. So we should seek that conversation out. And we should step into those conversations where we know they are racist and harmful and oppressive. And doing that inner work in yourself to acknowledge that you've been raised in this system and that you now seek to change the oppression. But again, it comes back to that burden is on you. It's not on others. Mm. And that, uh, that burden comes with a commitment. This should not be a blip. And we've seen these blips before. History has shown it. We've seen these short periods of time. We now, we now need to see this and use this as a tipping point that sustains change and that sustains awareness and that sustains action. That's the only way we'll see the system change. I want to bring back the topic of sponsorship. And with you, John, I've seen you be super proactive in this area for many for myself, I've seen you interject yourself into conversations where some on the outside looking in might be like, hey, what? he has nothing to do with this conversation. Um, and just the overall, your, your audacity to be proactive, to connect the dots. 
early on is certainly admirable and something that I've respected. I know many others have. So I, I wanted to kind of, you know, that's more of a statement, but let you know that you've certainly set an example for others as to how they can either mobilize or or become more active in their allyship. Can you just kind of share a little bit on for those that are starting out and, you know, it might be uncomfortable, you know, they, they do, from what I've heard in conversations, they do kind of want to hear some sort of like validation that they're kind of on the right way uh, or on the right path. What recommendation or advice do you have for those who want to be a mentor or sponsor of people of color? To be a mentor and to be a sponsor, you have to bring something of value. And to bring something of value can only be brought if you're first uh, established the trust to bring that value. And if you don't have a track record of having trust with that community, how can you bring value? So how I did it was first by acting in ways to build trust, whether that's through joining various ERG groups first to educate myself on where issues, challenges, and problems lie within the organization, participating in those as not only an active listener, but an active conversationalist and having one-on-ones with members of the Black community, some with just the position of learning more about their goals and challenges within the organization. Uh, And that was what we would call, um, I guess you would say, an organic mentorship where there's no commitment by either party up up front to a committed formal relationship, Mm -hmm. but rather... Um, I saw myself within LinkedIn and and within the time that I've spent in the company as someone who's in a connector position. So I knew a lot of people and I built key amount of relationships of which I knew would have value. But before I was able to demonstrate that value, I needed to build the trust. So the inorganic mentorships that began the informal relationships that I made with that community helped give me and helped prove that I was able to provide value through the consistency over time of trust. So my first step and recommendation for those who want to become a mentor of people or a sponsor of people of color is you need to do the work first in educating yourself as an asset for their careers, but first learning about it inorganically or informally through participation in ERG groups, through your own educational efforts, and for seeking to build one-on-one relationships with people of color to help you inform of the best ways that you could provide value. And through those inorganic relationships, I then had a system of trust built that I thought was meaningful. And over time, exponentially, uh, individuals started coming to me from those communities and those ERGs and said, hey, I hear you had this conversation with Adrian Reyes. Um, Would you mind having a cup of coffee with me? And that's an informal conversation, which quickly became formal. And that's how I started to build my mentorship or my mentee community. And then with that, um, you can formally structure a mentorship. And for for most of my mentorships, I like to put framework around uh, upfront contracts of six to 12 months. And very often they are renewed. 
and sometimes they're inorganically renewed, like our relationship, which just continues, <laughs> yeah. um, which is which is something that I'm treasured with, and 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 I find so uh, I guess self rewarding in that you trust me so much to, to provide the time that you share with me, and and I feel the same with others. However, there are certain areas of mentorship that are specific around uh, a person a person's goals in life at that time of which I might not be the best resource for. And I'll give you an example of it. Someone that um, you know maybe is looking to align with another business within LinkedIn. It's um, incumbent upon me to ensure that this person knows key decision makers in that line of business. That might be more influential sponsorship than I am. Now, I'll sponsor my experiences with this person, talk about their skills, their assets, their goals, where they can add value to that organization and make a warm introduction so that they at least have the ability to connect of which they didn't before. However, that individual in that organization, if I feel the trust in that individual to be able to sponsor that person forward in that line of business, that I might hand that person off as a warm mentorship intro so that person's career can continue to blossom in that line of business of which they have interest. Does that make sense? You... I will say with, you know, certainly your approach and a similar one that I've adopted and learned from you is the, the foundational elements of trust and, and really psychological safety. Um, that has been, you know, certainly um, refreshing. And I know others have uh, seen, experienced that type of value. You talked about commitment earlier and this relationship, mentor, mentee, allyship being a two-way street. What expectations do you have of the mentee? Because there's a lot of giving uh, that you're providing, um, and and certainly you know you can't you can't mentor everybody. So, what what's what are what's table stakes for you? Yeah, table stakes is that the mentee um, runs the meeting. That their homework is to provide the agenda of what they're seeking to accomplish each week. My commit is my time and my presence, and I will be fully present for you during that time. What I expect of you is to come with well-thought-out agenda items that you'd like to address. And this isn't, uh, let's be real clear, this isn't deal conversations or <laughs> conversations about, you know, uh, how do I uh, you know, do this or that uh, in the construct of making more money. It's in the construct of how you're developing yourself uh, as a person and seeking out the goals that you seek in life. The majority of those goals are professional, but sometimes personal goals obviously do sneak in, as you and I know. Mm -hmm. um, and that just comes with friendship, right? Which I, which I appreciate. And I'll give you my perspective on that. Um, but that's what I asked. I ask that the mentee takes that responsibility on. I can't you know, create the path. I can help you and guide you through it. But you need to start with thinking about what that timeline is. And you and I have spoken about, about SMART goals uh, for the last uh, eight years. And I think that that's a really good exercise to put on paper and to commit to. So that, I, that gives me complete understanding of how you're thinking about the structure of your goals and how I can help uh, facilitate and provide perspective based on the years of experience that I've had leading teams and leading individuals that might be an alternate that might accelerate that path to your, your goal completion. The term that I'm thinking of right now is paying it forward. And, you know, just you dropping gems like this is 
um, certainly timeless. And I uh, only hope that I've been um, successful in, in your view that I've been, um, you know, paying it forward and creating, uh, you know, a similar level of impact. Um, John, I, I want to thank you so much for your wealth of knowledge, your experience, your perspective, your continued allyship. You carry a heavy burden and it's nothing short of recognized and appreciated by so many people. And for those listening, you know, I really truly believe and hope that they see this as, you know, such a positive example to create impact within one's community and, you know, for the, for the common good. How can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about this and or be kind of steered in the right direction? Yeah, um, thank you for your thoughtful words and kind words. I, um, I really am... I'm humble and I appreciate the gratitude that you've shown. In terms of getting in touch with me and in learning more and sharing more, just this Friday I had what I consider considered a allyship journey Friday and committed my entire day for individuals that had interest in learning more about white privilege, white fragility, allyship, mentorship, race and uh, my calendar was filled, which I was grateful for. And we had some really wonderful conversations. I would say very easily accessible on LinkedIn. I answer all of my email requests. I'm easily accessible for those within the organization through email or through chat windows and things of that nature. Um, I make the time. I commit to the time. Your time is just as valuable as mine. So please don't think that my time is more valuable than yours. I make this a priority and I continue to make this a priority within my day. I will find the time for you if you feel uh, that strongly and that committed as I feel. One of the legacies that I believe a leader should leave is creating other leaders and forwarding the work that they gain um, perspective from while working with me. And then to your point, pay that forward in doing the same. That's how we're going to create systemic change. It's the pebble in the pond, as I use as a metaphor. And the ripples that go out touch so many and scale continuously. And I think by the more lives that I can touch in a positive way, the more leaders that I can create that show true compassion and leadership, the better we'll be uh, in the years to follow. And the changes will come through that compassion. Well said. Thank you for continually doing the right thing. That's an understatement. And thank you for leading from the front. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you for uh, allowing me to contribute here. Uh, much appreciated. That's it for this episode of Driving Ambition. I'm your host, Adrian Ambition. Please be sure to subscribe or follow this podcast, leave a review, and follow Driving Ambition Show on Instagram.